This is the DevSecOps Days Podcast. DevSecOps Days Podcast is supported by OWASP, dedicated to enabling organizations to conceive, develop, acquire, operate, and maintain applications that can be trusted. And with support from the Sonatype Nexus platform, allowing companies to automatically control open source risk. This is Mark Miller, Editor-in-Chief and host of the DevSecOps Days podcast series. Thank you for your continuing support. Subscribe to the broadcast on DevSecOpsDays.com in order to receive notice of newly published broadcasts and to leave comments on the broadcasts. <laughs> I'm talking with Stefan. And Stefan, I always have a pronunciation problem with your last name because it's Vienna, right? You're, you're from Vienna? <laughs> Uh, yes, I'm from Vienna, and it's a very German last name. So don't worry. Many people have tried. Many have failed. I'll, I'll help you out, okay? <laughs> well, I fail fast and fail often on that one. So yeah. how do you pronounce the last name? So it's actually, my name is Stefan Streichspier. Okay. So there you go. <laughs> I'll take it at that. You know, Stefan, you and I were in Singapore with mm-hmm. Edwin Kwan and with uh, DJ Schleen uh, having a couple beers. And we started talking about what would be the best way to get out the message about the stories we were talking about around the table. And I think as a group, the three of you came up with, why don't we write a book? And <laughs> that has happened. <laughs> and very quickly. Yeah, it was a, a very fun process. For the book itself, it's called Epic Failures in DevSecOps. Give us an an overview of what the book is about. So the book is essentially eight authors that um, are sharing their knowledge, their failures in the journey to DevSecOps so that other people can actually not repeat the same mistakes. Because you know what they say, um, an expert is somebody who just has made all the mistakes in a certain field. And I think this pretty much is what this book is about, or the series of books is about, because it allows people to learn from the mistakes of others and hopefully avoid them themselves. Your chapter is called The Unicorn Rodeo. And it's kind of surprised me when I saw the, the title because rodeo, I think, is pretty American-centric. Where did you come up with the name? <laughs> um, I was actually thinking about the title for quite some time and I, I really wanted the term unicorn in there, but somehow it then connected. I don't know why, but it seems to me that unicorn rodeo is a very, very perfect description of actually what DevSecOps is about. Because you have the unicorn and it's the horse, uh, that's the, um, uh, the, yeah, the, the line to the rodeo and they actually, the goal is for the people riding the horse to stay on. And that's the same for us DevSecOps engineers. We try to actually keep the pace and uh, stay up to speed with the DevOps teams and the development teams. But we kind of try to, you know, help them out and steer in the right direction. And so that's why the Rodeo seemed like such a, a valid name and a, a analogy for this, because you really have to try many times. You may hurt yourself in the progress, but if you succeed and you, you hit the time, you actually, are part of this and you you melt together, that's really a a very powerful moment and very rewarding. 
It's yeah. interesting when you put it that way, because when you think about the progression of becoming a rodeo rider, it's not like you jump on the biggest, baddest bull to start the show, right? <laughs> you have to start. Most of these kids that are starting uh, in rodeo actually start as kids and they work their way up. And yet in the industry with DevSecOps and DevOps, it seems like we're told to jump on the bull right away instead of working our way up through the process. Yeah, that's true. And probably that's, there's a lesson in there as well. Starting hard is not easy, but sometimes it's, it's the only way to do it here, right? So you've got three main points in your chapter. Well, I'll go through them. The first one that we want to talk about is don't waste time over engineering. Mm -hmm. So talk to me a little bit about that concept. What are, you, what are you trying to get across there? Because this is really based on my personal experience. The way I typically approach things or used to approach things is, okay, you got to get the perfect solution in there right away, make it beautiful, make it useful, like tick all the boxes. But if, if this is being done without actually getting the feedback from people along the way, you over-engineer something that actually nobody wants. And so you waste a lot of time, which is against the nature of uh, move fast, break things or fail fast, but you know, often. And this is where, you know, um, this is the point as well for security, because as a security engineer or DevSecOps engineer, anything you do to help, just start out simple, make sure it provides some value, iterate to make sure the people that actually use it get the value and take it from there. It sounds as if you're saying that as part of the engineering process, I'm re and I'm reading into what you're saying here, as part of the engineering process to begin, you have to build security in as part of that process. Yes, that's right. But there's also different aspects to this. So uh, to one, uh, like on one, uh, like one of these aspects is you want to build security features in, sure. You want to make sure it's the right security controls. You want to make sure the right secure coding practices are being followed. But another part of it is also, especially now with DevOps, is uh, embedding the right um, security tools, for example, into a pipeline or engineering a solution that actually helps not just uh, get it right from the beginning, but enable this fast feedback. And in, in this specific case, what we have experimented with is actually creating security unit test coverage or integration test coverage. So we actually try to allow like full coverage of all the API endpoints with our own scripts for security. And this was really successful and, and worked really well to some extent, but um, it, the adoption of the people actually that, that we wrote it for didn't. So there was a lot of engineering effort in there without actually making sure that the people that we build it for wanted. So, That's your second okay. point. When I, when I was reading the chapter, it's build, for the right audience. So are you saying that you misinterpreted, you just built something and then we're finding an audience or you had assumed the audience had wanted it? Yeah, the letter, I've assumed the audience. Mm -hmm. Like I thought this is gonna be great. How can people not love this? And I, I even talked to a few developers on that and, and team leads and the, the feedback was really positive, but I also misunderstood, misunderstood the politics in play because uh, understanding who the actual end users are and maybe not the people that, that you talk to that also think it's a good idea is key to this. And I think this goes for product development just as much as it does for security engineering and DevSecOps. Building the product for the people that actually use it 
or building something for the people that actually use it without mm -hmm. assuming is key to success. The thing that goes along with that too is it's almost like you want to build micro chunks, small chunks, mm -hmm. put it out there and say, is this the functionality that we're looking for here? Absolutely. And I think in, in Agile, like people use this uh, metaphor, this analogy where, you know, you, you start with a skateboard and then if that works out, you make it a bike and then a, a fast sports car, not the other way around. And you just see if people can move forward and if it's working and they actually use it, great. Then make the next iteration, next small piece that adds another amount of value to it. The third part of your chapter covers finding champions, which relates back to that second point. It's almost as if you need a champion in-house in order to help you spread your message. This is, this is one of the main points and key points because what I've seen in the past in many organizations that I've worked in is that, especially coming in as a consultant and not part of the, of the, of the organization already, you can lead with great ideas and great processes and great approaches and methodologies, but ultimately you are holding the torch and you have to pass on the torch to somebody. These people are the champions, right? Like they don't have to be the brilliant security people, but they just have to be people that are passionate and are really into making security a reality in, in, in their teams and in the organization. No matter how great as a consultant one person would be, a security champion that actually knows people, knows the politics, knows the teams, they can do so much more and they can be such a great, or like they're really necessary, they're really um, required to make the change happen because there's this moment where you pass the torch and if there's nobody there to actually take it over, then no matter what you've done before, it's just not gonna uh, kick in, it's just not gonna yeah, stick. When you wrote the chapter, Stefan, you, you started to formulate an idea here. What did you want people to walk away with after reading your chapter? There's a few things to take away. First, there's a new breed of people required to actually make security reality nowadays. So that means um, the traditional approach to security, as we've heard so many times, doesn't really work so much anymore. So there has to be a certain kind of flexibility and understanding of who you're dealing with and, and what you want to achieve. Going for the 100% security and making everything perfect doesn't matter because we know also through OWASP and the others, the OWASP top 10, they rarely change. So these things that have been known for a very long time, the way we've, we as security people have breached it or have tried to solve this issue, they have not actually, that has not been successful. I think that for security, one of the issues is that there's too much information overload and that we should focus on less. We should have a very laser focus on the things that really matter for an organization or for a team or for a product and really stick to the, the top three things and only focus on these. And once these are done, you can take it from there. So to me, it's more like having a different approach to security and focusing on providing the focus needed for development teams to actually make a change. And if there's too much going on, nobody has time for that. And if it's too complicated, nobody's gonna bother trying to understand it. So small steps, small improvements, but the things that really matter and have an impact, and then just trying to get the right people interested and, uh, and, and motivated and make, it, uh, make them champions to actually make these changes last in an organization. There's a lot of uh, trial and error. 
there's a lot of fails and uh, you know falling off the horse because it's gonna uh, kick and scream because just coming in as a security person, you already have like a very different position and a very different um, like people look at you already in a way that oh my god this is gonna be horrible. So I think overcoming this and being a, a buddy so to say and somebody that really respects the time of the, the teams, the developers understands what really matters and helps them achieve that as quickly as possible. That's kind of what I wanted to get across there. And no matter what has worked in the past, doesn't mean it's going to work again in this specific scenario when you are with a new uh, team. So it's really being open and flexible in, in how to approach teams and see what really works out for them. It's interesting you touch on conceptually cultural transformation when you talk about the perception of the security person in the role. Okay. Carolyn Wong wrote a, a chapter about that specifically, about security is never invited into the room, yeah. right? But it, it's interesting. Is the perception of the security role changing? You and I would like it to. I think we're ahead mm. of the curve on that. But do you see any progress in that front? I do see some progress, but I think it also depends on, on the kind of organization, because like you said, culture is, is one of the key aspects for every transformation, because it, it really depends who is in charge of making a transformation happen and also what their KPIs are. What are their, like what are, at the end of the day, what are they getting, uh, being paid for getting the bonuses? And very often I see that these are at odds, at fundamental odds with what the teams want to achieve uh, the product teams, for example, want to achieve. So I see a positive trend, but I think there's still a lot of work to do to to change this perception, especially in large organizations. But the security professional actually has to perceive themselves differently in this role. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And and it's I think it's it's this change from this traditional the department of knowledge, just saying, no, you can't do that, it's insecure, it's a big risk to okay, what do you want to achieve and how can we help you achieve that? And with this simple change of, of attitude, whole world uh, open up in front of you because I really see the first time I go into any new team, you can really see the skepticism on their faces because as long as security is somewhere near your name card or your title, they already have like their, their perception, right? It's really, it always takes a little bit of time and just really spending the time with the teams, with the people to show, hey, you're one of the good guys. Yeah, you want to help them succeed. And you are there to support them because they're the ones that actually drive the business. It will take quite some time for this change to be the standard. But I think it's the only way forward because ultimately that's the only way that's going to work out because the all the alternatives are just very difficult to see taking place in an agile and DevOps world. How accurate was Gene Kim's representation of the security role when he wrote the Phoenix Project? Oh, he was spot on. <laughs> <laughs> so spot on. I mean, yeah, I, I love this book. This is the first thing I recommend to anyone that, that asks me about, hey, how do you get into DevSecOps or anything like that? Just read the book. It's all in there. It's great. I was just surprised, like how this person actually turned around, and how they like, you know, I think they shaved their head or whatever, and it really went on there. Um, <clears throat> yeah, their own uh, like search to find like uh, what is actually what is all about. So I think it's really spot on, and I, I haven't actually seen this happening in real life, 
it's, it's still spot on. And think about that. The Gene wrote that five years ago. And still yeah. you and I are having this discussion. It's disconcerting in that once you once you get it, it's pretty obvious. But mm. I don't think the industry understands yet. I think this is the, the, the tough part about it because if you already see the future and you see like, okay, that's the only way it can it ha it, it can uh, work out. It's just frustrating if it takes a little bit longer than expected or much longer than expected for this change to take place. But I think it's still something worth fighting for because ultimately, you know, we're still at this crossroads where it's not DevSecOps is everywhere yet, but we can really see that the positive impact of, of these changes and people actually doing um, things differently. So I think it's just a matter of time. And it's there's one, one of my favorite quotes really captures this. The future is here already. It's just not evenly distributed yet. You're in an area of the world. You have offices in Jakarta and in Bangkok. I see you whenever I go to Singapore. You're in that area of the world and trying to help bring that message there. The cultural transformation is hasn't happened yet mm. as far as acceptance of this kind of thing down in Southeast Asia. Yeah, I think it's it's even harder on a few different levels uh, because first of all when we talk about cultural um, transformation typically we see that the region is is behind uh, UK, like uh, the uk europe or the us at least for a few years you can really see the difference if you go to the states and see how far along people are especially in, in devops adopting it in devsecops and then you have it in uh, in asia it's it's quite a gap but another challenge on top of that is also for me personally, you know, I'm, I'm European. And actually to make a cultural transformation stick, you also have to take the local culture into account. And like you said, Indonesia is very different than again to Singapore and to Thailand and to Europe or America. So this, this adds like another level of um, complexity to making these transformations happen because you first also have to understand how people and the culture works in a specific region. It's fascinating to me that when I go to Manila, when I go to Singapore, places like that, they are very heavy tech hubs. Mm -hmm. And yet the transformation is still not getting traction yet. Yeah, it's, uh, I have a few um, notes on that because it starts when you go to a meetup, for example, a conference, right? Mm -hmm. Like uh, maybe in the States, people like, grab the mic, ask a lot of questions, it's very interactive, people like to share. This may not be the case here, right? Like people are more reserved or maybe um, don't want to lose faith, face. And so this already starts there, right? So you can really see in, in simple public gatherings how the dif how different cultures are. And it's not that one is better than the other, not at all, it's just different. And that's, that's I think what makes it so hard, but also rewarding if you make it right. And uh, one of our clients in, uh, in, in, in Singapore, it was really great to see them on their journey where, going back to this torch analogy, where, you know, once the torch was passed over and, and they made it their own, it was really amazing to see what they have done once they actually started driving it. And they they just, it just worked for their specific concept, uh, context and their culture. This is the really rewarding part where you, you still manage to, to help facilitate this. And you know, you see it in, in all different 
you know, uh, shapes and, and forms taking, uh, like bearing fruit, so to say, or taking, uh, taking place. When I come down to that area, I see you and I see Fabian, Fabian Lim, who wrote another chapter in the book here, as two of the big proponents of DevOps and DevSecOps in that area of the world. Who else should people be following in your area? Before we started talking on, here in the podcast, you and I had talked about what Mohammed Imran is doing down there, some remarkable stuff. Yeah, definitely. He's one to follow. I think also Suman is, is one to follow, also a very good fella. Who um, is that? Uh, Suman Suraf. He's also very active and uh, was also one of, uh, he's also one of the co-organizers of DevSecOps meetup in Singapore and DevSecon there as well. Yeah, I think these, especially in, in Singapore, Thailand, unfortunately, not a lot of people as of now. Indonesia is also still developing. I think Australia is, is uh, well ahead. We know quite a few people like Edwin, etc., who are great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I think, yeah, Imran, Suman, those, those gents are, are very good. Probably Magda Celi. She's also a, a very, um, she's a great person. I know her personally, and uh, she's doing a lot of good work in, to help build community and raise awareness. Yeah, there, there's actually a lot more people um, that, that do a really good job in actually uh, raising awareness about security. I think for, for DevOps and DevSecOps specifically, it's, it's a much smaller niche than, let's say, cybersecurity. There's also great meetups like uh, the Now Meetup, Overs Meetup, uh, Division Zero Meetup in Singapore, amongst others, where there's also a lot of security uh, happening. There's definitely a lot of people, but the mix between development, security, and operations is still very much a niche, mm. even in the niche of security. So there's really only a handful of people you would typically find that are really uh, leading, leading the pack. That leads us to the final note. You and Fabian and Edwin and I will be down with Alan Schimmel on July 22nd in Singapore for the DevSecOps Days RSA conference. And we'd love to have everybody show up for that. <laughs> yeah, this would be great. It's been great the last two years and I'm sure this year will even be better. Just reminding everybody, we're talking about the book, Epic Failures in DevSecOps, where Stefan has a chapter called Unicorn Rodeo and hope that you'll go out. You can go to devsecopsdays.com, and that's a free download if you want the digital copy, or it's available on Amazon if you want a hard copy. Stefan, as always, it's fun to talk to you. My pleasure. Mark, thanks a lot for inviting me and, and having me. It was great talking to you. This is the DevSecOps Days podcast. DevSecOps Days podcast is supported by OWASP, dedicated to enabling organizations to conceive, develop, acquire, operate, and maintain applications that can be trusted. And with support from the Sonatype Nexus platform, allowing companies to automatically control open source risk.